0: All right, thanks, Scott. Well, good morning, everybody. All right, so as Scott read, hopefully you guys were listening and following along. the main text this morning is going to be Luke 19:28 through 40. Luke 19:28 through 40. And if you're not familiar with this, this is the account of Jesus Christ's triumphal entry. If you're not familiar with that phrase, that's okay. We're glad that you're here. And hopefully by the end of this service, you'll know a little bit more about it. But what we really hope and what we pray is, is that you have an encounter with the one that this passage is about, not just about information, but about the person of Jesus. And if you are familiar with this account and you are honest, the passage that I have, this 28 through 36, we often skim over fairly quickly. We look at it and it's kind of like a little bit of a background, a little bit of a context. to sit there and go, oh, that's how Jesus got the cult. Okay, I see the connection. And we start slowing down. We're going really fast. We get to 35. We get to 36. We start slowing down. And then Brian's going to come and Scott's going to speak. And, and part two and point three is the meat of the passage. Right? That's where we want to sit. If we're honest, a lot of us go through the passage that way. But if God's word is God breathed, which means it's inspired, that God actually wrote his word through man for us, that means that all of Scripture is important. So what I want us to do is I want us to slow down a little bit on this first part and maybe look at this part of the passage with new eyes. Because here's the deal. When I read 28 through 36, I get down and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, it's a crazy passage, is it not? I mean, if you're listening along what Scott said, it is a crazy passage. Think about this. Think about Jesus. Everything that he said was going to happen, happened. I want you to think about the disciples. How do you think the disciples felt when Jesus sent them off? How do you think they felt when they walked into the city and they found the colt, when they walked out with the colt, when they saw Jesus riding down the road to Jerusalem? What kind of thoughts do you think the disciples had? Or what about the owner of the colt? The owners. It talks about owners having and seeing this and, and looking at somebody untying their, their colt and then sending it off with two strangers. And then maybe, maybe being in that Jesus going into Jerusalem, being right there at that celebration, seeing Jesus on their donkey. What might that have been like? Right? Do you guys get that? The disciples, think if you're the disciples and Jesus comes and says, hey, you too, this is what I want you to do. You're going to go into the city. It's the city we're going into. And when you walk in, you're not going to go around. You're not going to knock on doors. You're not going to go, hey, anybody got a spare donkey? Like Anybody? You know, give me permission. You're not going to knock on any doors. You're just going to walk in. In fact, Scripture says as you enter, Matthew says immediately you're going to find a colt. And that colt is going to be tied up. And Matthew, we find out it's not only a colt, but it's also a donkey that's there. Right? So you're going to walk in. And again, you're not going to talk to anybody. You're just going to go up and you're going to start untying this colt. Right? Think about the disciples in that moment. And then I love it in verse 32. Look at verse 32. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Just as he had told them. So they're untying the colt, right? The owners are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing? And the passage says that the disciples said, hey, the Lord has need of it. And it's interesting, Bruce had pointed out that in the message it says his master has need of it, which is interesting to think about it that way. His master He's sovereign. He's over all of creation, right? And then it says that they just let him go. They just let him go. So they go out of town with the donkey. They show up there with Jesus. They put the cloaks on the donkey. They put Jesus on the donkey. Then they're putting cloaks in front of the donkey as Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem to symbolize that the disciples are going, That's our king. That's our king. Everything happened exactly the way Jesus said it would. From the way that it was set up, right? To the way that everything went down. And what Brian's going to talk about too, he's going to fill in some of this. It happened at the exact same time that it was supposed to happen. Exact same time that it was supposed to happen, right? And to go back to the Jesus, this is really interesting. To go back to saying, hey, his master has need of it. Right? We, we, we just kind of read over that part of the passage and go, well, yeah, it's Jesus. It's the disciples. This is just the way that things work out. But put yourself in the disciples shoes just for a second. And let's say it's Sunday morning, right? And you go out to your car. You take your remote out. Deet, deet. And you go to get in your car and somebody jumps right in your car. Says, quick, give me the keys. I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to borrow your car. Neil, I need to borrow your car. Okay, if Neil's having a really good day, Neil might be like, okay, let's talk about this, right? Come out of the car, let's see where you need to go, right? If Neil's not having such a good day, he might be like, what? Get out of my car. It's my car, that's not your car. What do you mean you wanna use it? But, but, if Neil's sitting right here and during this message, Jesus speaks to Neil and says, Neil, I need you to know somebody's gonna need something from you today. Or maybe even Jesus is more specific and he says, Neil, somebody's gonna need to borrow your car. When you go out to the parking lot and that happens, you're gonna have a different response, aren't you? Because see, that's what God does. He works, he prepares, he's setting the stage, right? It happened exactly the way that God said, or Jesus said it was going to happen. And then Zechariah 9, 9, right? Listen to this. Zechariah 9, 9 says this. The coming king of Zion, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Uh, Having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, If you're not familiar with the Bible, you might go, yeah, it's just kind of talking about what we just read about in Luke. But did you know that Zechariah was written over 500 years before this event? Over 500 years before the event, pointing to God's plan. You know, when we look at stories like this, um, it's really easy to talk about Jesus' sovereignty and his foreknowledge, and how he's in control, and how he's able to do things. It's easy. On a Sunday morning, sometimes some of the songs that we're going to sing, this is great. Yeah, Jesus, come back. You're sovereign. Nobody's going to screw that up. You're coming right in. You're coming back for us. All of those things. But what about the time when his sovereignty and his foreknowledge and his power isn't so hard to talk about, or is more difficult to talk about? And what I'm talking about is is that for some of you, is Jesus asking you to walk through a difficult time right now where trusting him is really, really hard? Like you know, you know that Jesus is sovereign. You go, and I get that. Jesus, I know you know everything that's going on. And Jesus, you have the power to change this, but your circumstances don't seem to be changing. He doesn't seem to be moving. What do you do with that? It's interesting. When you look at the disciples, and Brian's going to fill in the blank on this too, but the disciples, when they came out with that donkey and Jesus was riding, they were celebrating and going, "This is the king, the king has come back. He's going to make everything right. That's my king. That's my king." A couple of days later, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my king on the cross. That's my king that just died. Didn't say the disciples went back and were just like all together and going, okay, guys, now what's next? This is cool. Jesus said this was going to happen. Talking about them scattering, right? They didn't know what in the world was going on. They were scared. Some of them went back to what they were doing beforehand. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the third day and the disciples are going, ah, the Holy Spirit starts connecting the dots and they go, ah. And all of a sudden, the disciples got it. But the disciples got it what? On the back end, Right? where Jesus gets it on the front end. See, Jesus has a true reality that he's looking through. He's looking through for an internal perspective. And because of that, that's the way that he works and that's the way that he moves. As some of you guys know, um, our family, the difficult time that, that, that we've been going through as a family is with our oldest daughter, Leah. Um, she's been dealing with injuries since junior high. The most recent one in the last two years, she's been dealing with a hip issue. So through two surgeries, a lot of physical therapy, several different setbacks, it's still not completely healthy, it's still not completely right. That's the journey we've been walking through. And watching your child take a hit physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, when you see that, the the, the illustration that came to my mind, how many people know whack-a-mole? Okay, some of you, the arcade game, right? Plastic mole comes up, wham, hit it with a mallet, get some points, It's what it looks like. In Leah's life, that's what it's felt like for the last several years. Just as she comes up spiritually, bang. Just as things are happening for her emotionally, she's feeling better, bang. Spiritually, okay, here's God, I get, bang. And that's what she's walked through. And as parents, we walk through this. And as a family, we start asking God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, this isn't fair. God, don't you care? God, how long will you just tell us? God, will you protect her? God, can you be trusted, right? All of those type things. And it's okay for us to do that, right? Is it okay for us to do that? Yeah, it is. The Bible's full of people that talk like that to God. God, how long? How long? I read something a couple of months ago at a ministry moment about a teenager that wrote their own psalm during one of the reflection stations that we had in youth group. What I didn't tell you is, is this was from my daughter, let me read it to you again. God, where are you? Why are you so quiet and everything going on? Why does it feel like you aren't living up to your end of the bargain? I know you are here. I see you working, but why not in me? I'm hurting. I'm confused. You say you love me, but leave me here and don't seem to come back. Why? It's been a while. Please let me see your love. Please let me see comfort. Please let me see you. I'm angry. I'm tired. Please give me the peace I know that you give and the love that I know you have for me. Please give me a reason for this trial. Just one simple reason. Show me you, please. Help me believe everything you say is true. You're hurting child. She's part of the Wadsworth basketball team, and they headed to States last week, and it was disappointing for Leah in a couple of different ways besides just the way that everything turned out. But on our way to State, different people were asked, you know, family members and friends to write letters to the players as they were going down to read on the bus. And this is the letter that I read to, or I wrote to Leah. I'm just going to read part of it. I have her permission to do that says now back to this weekend 2 years ago you had a once in a lifetime experience and now another once in a lifetime don't allow satan to rob you of it as he will try to get you to focus on what you don't have and what you will not experience he'll be whispering all kinds of things about god being absent god can't be trusted god doesn't care god continues to let you down etc You want Satan to say, oh crap, when your feet hit the floor in the morning when you get out of bed, embrace this this weekend. Confess to God where you are struggling and surrendering the weekend to him and ask him to use it. I know you may not want to hear this, but it is God's reality and our true reality. Be ready when your name is called. Be it on the basketball floor, the bench, in the locker room, on the bus, in the hotel when you're eating, etc., God continues to call, and I have complete and total faith that you will one day look back at all of this and see how he's redeeming what doesn't seem to be redeemable at this point of your journey. Now, guys, that was on a good day for me. I'm not always there, but it's every day. It's every day where I have to decide, am I going to trust Jesus? Am I going to push into Jesus? Am I going to be honest and raw with Jesus and to walk with Him? So, in your current situation, or maybe the situation you find yourself in this year, do you believe that He's sovereign in your life and He knows what He's doing? Do you believe that He is never failing? Do you believe that He's faithful? Do you believe that He hasn't left you? and you believe that Jesus can be found in the waiting.
1: We're going to continue in Luke chapter 19. But I want to say this to you. If Jesus knows that there's a cult tied up somewhere and it's exactly as it is when the disciples go and they find it that way, He knows where you are today, too. He knows what you've dealt with this week and what's on your heart and your mind today. He's good and He cares for you. Luke chapter 19, I'm going to pick up at verse 37. It says, as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As Jesus rides down the Mount of Olives, his disciples are filled with joy. There's a crowd of them. They had followed him around, they had heard his teaching, they had seen the miraculous things he had done, they had watched him heal people, and now they praise God. It's likely that they thought their Messiah was going to ride into Jerusalem, overthrow the Roman rule of the city, and reign as king on earth. We know that that's not quite what happened. But they also knew the prophecy that there was a coming king. They had seen Jesus do these things. And as he rides into the city, they were very excited. This journey to Jerusalem actually began earlier in the book of Luke. And I want to look back at Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. There's a few things here that I think we should look at. Luke chapter 9. In this chapter, Jesus two times foretells his death. First in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then again in verse 44, he says, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So two times, Jesus says to the disciples exactly what's going to happen. And they don't understand it. And then later in verse 51, this journey to Jerusalem begins. Verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. So our Palm Sunday passage is the end of a long journey that began at that point in time. Now, there's a couple interesting things. When you put these pieces together in Luke chapter 9, what we see is Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him when he went to Jerusalem, and yet he was still determined to go there. Do you know what that means? It means Jesus loves us. It means he knew the suffering and rejection and the death that he would die there in Jerusalem. And yet he still chose to go. Love drove him on. I love that about him. From this point in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is traveling towards Jerusalem. And during that period of time, we see some very familiar stories throughout the Gospels. During that time, we have the stories of the Good Samaritan, the Lord's Prayer, the Prodigal Son, the rich young ruler. When Jesus reaches Jericho, he heals a blind beggar, and he meets Zacchaeus. From there, he goes to Bethany, where he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then a few days later, he comes back to Lazarus' house. It says it was six days before the Passover he has a meal with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. You might know that story. This journey to Jerusalem began at that point in time. There's actually another beginning to this journey to Jerusalem. It's way back at the point when God decided He was going to send us Christ. God had planned it out. In fact, if you know the story of the Passover, from Exodus chapter 12, you might know some of the details of it. The Passover lamb was supposed to be taken into the people's house on the 10th day of the first month, and then the Passover lamb was supposed to be sacrificed on the 14th day of the, 10, of the first month. And when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's entering in four days before the Passover. Jesus arrived at Jerusalem exactly when he intended to arrive so that it would be clear that he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. I mention all of this for two reasons. I think it's important for us to keep a biblical passage within its context, but I think it's also important for us to realize that Jesus did this for us. He knew what would happen, and he intentionally, resolutely set out towards Jerusalem to lay down his life for us. Now, within this passage in Luke chapter 19, it's sort of a strange thing that's happening. This is different than a lot of the way that Jesus was treated for the most of his life. All right? We have people exalting Jesus while he's on earth. We don't see that very often. What we have is him receiving kingly gifts when he was a child. We have two experiences of people uh, anointing him with expensive oil, and we have the transfiguration. All of those were in private settings. This is a very public setting. As he goes into Jerusalem, people praise him and exalt him. Up to this point, Jesus had received no special treatment. He didn't have possessions. The Bible says he has no place to lay his head. And yet in this moment, Jesus' glory shines through. The people recognize him for who he is, and they praise God. We're told a couple things about what they do. They wave palm branches. Seems like sort of a strange thing. I would say it's something similar to the idea of waving a flag as someone enters in, maybe during a parade. It's a sign of rejoicing, it's a, chi- a sign of joy that people were excited and they were welcoming him in. It says they threw their cloaks down on the ground in front of him. I've never done anything like that. <laughs> But what it is, is we would probably say it's like rolling out the red carpet for an honored person who was coming. They're welcoming him in. They've recognized who he is. What the Bible said about him, they're seeing it in his life and they're exalting Jesus as the Messiah as he comes in. They say a few things too. The words they say have meaning. They come directly out of Psalm 118. The first thing they say is, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. People are recognizing that Jesus is a king and he's come from God. It's part of a messianic prophecy. The people recognized what they've heard and seen Jesus do lines up with what they understand the Messiah to be when he comes, and they praise God. The next thing they say is peace in heaven. Now, these people were probably looking for peace in Jerusalem. Get these Roman soldiers out of our city. We want peace. They didn't realize what God was doing was restoring peace between God and men, removing the wrath that was against us because of our sin by the sacrifice of the Son. Jesus was making peace in heaven, and these people shouted out, peace in heaven, and they say, glory in the highest. It's exactly the same thing that the heavenly hosts said when they announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2 Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When I think of it that way and realize that that's how angels praise God, I wonder why I don't say that more often. Glory to God in the highest. Think about it angels are professional, full time worshipers. We can learn something from the way that they worship God. Glory to God in the highest. From these responses, we can tell that the people were eager eager to experience salvation, eager to experience peace. They'd been waiting for a long time. They'd been waiting for their Messiah to be revealed. And when Jesus came to Jerusalem, the people celebrated, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, they shouted. It's what they had been waiting for and they were ready. My question to you today is, are you ready? I wonder if you have examined Jesus' life, if you've seen the miracles that he has done and praised him. That's exactly what they do. Our passage says that they looked at Jesus, recognized the things he had done, the mighty works that he had done, and they praised his name for that. Could that be said of you? Have you seen Jesus do miraculous things in his word? Have you seen Jesus do miraculous things in your life? Have you seen Jesus do miraculous things in your heart? And if so, would you praise him? Those who knew Jesus praised him. Those who didn't know who he was asked a question. In the parallel story of Palm Sunday, In Matthew, it says this. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Maybe there's some people here today who would ask the same thing. Who is this Jesus? And why do people get so excited about him? What's the fuss about? Why are people always talking about Jesus and always praising God? If you have friends or family, who are always doing that, why don't you ask them? Ask them why it is that they're so excited about Jesus. I'll give you the short answer. they will let, let them give you the long answer. The short answer is this. The reason why people praise God and exalt Jesus is because an encounter with him will dramatically change your life forever. Some of you know that. I know that personally in my own life. I wonder today if you would ask the question, who is this? Would you start a journey today to determine who is Jesus? So whether you know him as your savior or you're not quite sure who he is and you're still asking that question, who is this? I encourage you today to look at him and consider whether he is worthy of praise. Is he worthy of praise? Of the praise of others? Is he worthy of your praise right now?
2: Jesus. I get the last two verses of this. Some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. And Jesus said in this famous line, I tell you, and some versions say the truth. I tell you the truth. If these these people are silent or were silent, finish the sentence, the rocks would cry out. Famous passage. If they're silent, the rocks will cry out. I got a pile of rocks here. I'll put him up so you can see him. Took him out of the office rock garden. Don't tell Bob Falkenberg. He's over administration. This will not be good. Um, I will put him back. The rocks will cry out. I've never heard a rock cry, let alone whisper. I've heard rocks smack together. I've heard the, the sound of a rock crashing against my windshield. I've heard that rushing sound of a rock slide. I've felt that. I've heard the sound rocks make when they grind under my feet. I I've felt a rock that's cold when you pick it up out of a river, a mountain river in the summer. I've felt a rock That's been hot when you pull it out of the fire. I've cut my foot on a rock. My brother has hit me with a rock. I've seen a band rock. And I've seen a rock band. Thanks, Jamie. We worked all night on that delivery. You ever see that movie Dumbo where that bird says, but I've seen everything if I see an elephant fly, right? goes on and says, I- I've seen this and I've seen that and I've seen this, but I've done seen everything if I see an elephant fly. If you hear a rock cry out, you've done seen everything. And what's interesting about this passage is is Jesus is clearly accepting worship as God. And and these Pharisees come to him who follow God, right? And they're coming to him saying, you got to stop this whole thing. Shut it down. Send everybody home. If they understood what Jesus was doing, he was accepting worship unequivocally. No one had any, any, there was no vague gray area. Is he really, they knew what was going on. He knew what was going on. He was accepting worship as God. That's why they wanted him to stop. And Jesus' words are a sweeping statement. It's this, it's hard to get your mind around. It pushes the boundaries of of our knowledge and our experience. It forces us to go beyond what we know. And the problem is we don't know what we don't know because it's it's so beyond us. We can kind of grasp it and we can get understanding around it. But there's something about this that is just beyond us, bigger than us. And it's not a statement about rocks. It isn't. This, is, this has nothing to do with rocks. This is a statement about God. He introduces the reality and the idea that if people don't praise him, rocks were going to cry out. And what he is saying, the glory that God is due is so incredible. It will force the laws of nature to change in order to bring him glory. It's so overpowering. It's so stag- uh, staggering. H- he will be glorified, his, whether it's his majesty, his authority, his power, his love, his grace, whatever attribute you could think of, whatever is his essence, whatever his sovereign plan and how it unfolds, he has to, he will be, he must be It's impossibly inevitable, inexorably moving towards. You can't stop it. Him not receiving glory will literally force nature to violate the laws of nature and the rocks will cry out glory in the highest. Glory to God. Hosanna. And everything we think we know about rocks will also be shattered in that moment. Palm Sunday is this one moment where, where people understood, maybe as limited as they could, who Jesus was, and Jesus in that moment received the worship. And how necessary it is to worship him. It's the universal constant nature will worship god and it's interesting because people assumed they understood god and what's interesting about rocks is uh rocks are inanimate objects right there is no life in a rock you can't hurt a rock's feelings it has no feelings it doesn't think it doesn't breathe it's just a rock it's not living right and yet, we are. You're, you're, you've been given breath. You, you've been given life. You've been given a mind, a, a heart to choose love. Like you can love something. A, a rock can't do that. You have a spirit that's everlasting, stretches into eternity. Rocks don't, don't have that. You have a body which can express worship. A rock doesn't have a body body, living body, moving. It's just a rock. It just sits there. And here's the crazy thing. The most natural thing, the most unnatural thing is for us to refuse to worship God and yet the most natural thing for you and for me is to worship him. You realize that? Like you are at your sweet spot. The best moments of your life are in worship. And and you may think, Sunday morning? Like, really? Well, that's a very narrow understanding of worship. Worship is so much bigger than this, this few moments we have together. Worship is this life of worship, right? In everything that we do, we worship and praise him. You were created to do that. How well do you know your God? Does it kind of fry your brain when you think, wow, if literally those people hadn't worshiped him, was, was Jesus speaking hyperbole there? I don't think so. He just finished all these miracles. I don't think it was. I ain't telling the truth. If nobody praised him as he went up there, there was gonna be rocks crying out, Hosanna! underneath their feet, like, how does that work? Could you imagine? Could you imagine that is how glorious God is? It would literally violate the laws of nature, a rock would, to give him praise. Let me ask you something. Um, You ever get that close to God? You feel like you have that understanding of God where it, it comes and you go, oh my, oh my, he is like, he's so beyond. I, we can know him and we can understand about things about him and yet there's a piece where He's infinite. He's beyond our capacity to understand completely everything and it just keeps learning. You keep growing. You keep n- discovering, right? And there's these encounters written about all through Scripture. This one is they, they lay down their cloaks. They lay down their clothes so he doesn't, his, this cult doesn't walk on ground. It walks on cloaks. There's other moments where people encounter God and they're literally on their feet face trembling, and there's these moments, this scene where Jesus, after he is crucified and raised to life, John has this vision of, of heaven, and Jesus is on the throne, and, and all the saints, right, all the people who, who follow Christ and say yes to him, and, and, and the angels too, and all they're doing is just, they're praising God, and they're just singing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb, right, and, and, and the elders, these leaders have crowns, and, and, and they, they just throw their crowns down and say, I'm not wearing this thing in the presence of the king, I got a crown. It's a trinket in the glory of God. And they just say over and over, you're worthy of it all. You're worthy of all. Worthy of it all. Palm Sunday is a day where we can come back again and just renew that. For many of us to say, wait a minute. I am made to worship him. My life is made to worship him. The best place, the best thing, the best times in life are in worship with him and, and, and all that he's called me to do and be. And in those moments when we encounter him, what happens? Well, he's, he's right there, right? Right? He's this God that made this whole plan that pushes right towards this this thing. He loves you and me. It it doesn't make us chase after him. He's right there. And so God comes and he touches us, this incredibly awesome God. And he, he meets us right there in the middle of worship. He meets us on these Sunday mornings. He meets us throughout the week. He's just big enough to do that for you and for me and for anyone. And some of you, I, I would just encourage you. Maybe you got a, like the proverbial door shut to him, and you're like, I, I'm not letting him in, and I don't know why. And I, I would just encourage you maybe just open the door. Just open the door. Say, okay, God, I'm open. If you're this big and you've got this kind of a plan and and you really are coming towards me and you love me, then just open the door. It can't hurt. And you may encounter a God whose love is so overwhelming you won't be able to talk. You may encounter a God who is so forgiving you won't be able to describe it. You may encounter a God who gives you a peace that you've always wanted and never had in life's whatever. When you think about these stories and Lynn and and that's you and can you imagine a God that big giving you his peace? And so Palm Sunday is a day where, where we just say, not on my watch. I am not letting no rock Give my worship. Not as long as I have breath will I let a rock give the worship I was created to give. And no one's going to shut me down from that. And no circumstances are going to shut me down from worshiping him. Even when it's hard. I was created for this. And I will not Let a rock do it for me. We're just going to spend some time at the end worshiping him. The thing we were created to do and see what God does.